Welcome to part one of this five-part wood-fired oven masterclass series where I sit down in the United Kingdom and talk to David Jones from the Mana from Devon Cooking School. They specialize in teaching wood-fired oven cooking techniques to folks from all around the world. In part one of this masterclass series, I talk to David about his intriguing background and what drove him to start the Mana from Devon Cooking School with Holly in Devon in the UK. We chat about his wood-fired ovens and types of wood he uses in these ancient types of ovens. This episode sets the scene for the rest of the series where we discuss over 20, yep, 20 different types of foods that you can try in your wood-fired oven. That's a big list of gloriously delicious food and cooking techniques that are coming during the series. You can find out more about this wonderful wood-fired oven cooking school by checking out their website, manafromdevon.com. I'll leave a bunch of links to their website, books, and online courses in the show notes. If you'd like to become a supporter of the Woodfire Oven podcast, please consider it. Head over to woodfireoven.cooking forward slash support, where I have left a few options for you to consider. Okay, sit back, relax, and join me as we start this incredible five-part Woodfire Oven Masterclass series with David Jones. Hi, this is Ben. This is Adrian. This is Clive. This is David Jones from the Manor from Devon Cooking School, and you are listening to the Woodfire Oven Podcast with Mark Goston. The United Kingdom is a gorgeous place. Lush green rolling hills, gorgeous meandering rivers, and stunning wild coastlines. About four and a half hours southwest of London lies Kingswear in South Devon a particularly stunning area, so much so in fact that it holds national status in the UK as a designated area of outstanding natural beauty, and I can see why. I've travelled here from Brisbane, Australia to visit today's very special guests. David and Holly Jones own and operate the well-known Mana from Devon Cooking School, located near the beautiful River Dart. They have been teaching folks from all around the world wood-fired oven cooking techniques for over 15 years in this amazing place. So I am very excited to chat with David today. They are also authors of three gorgeous wood-fired oven cookbooks, which I discussed back in Season 2, Episode 3 of the show. David Jones, welcome to the Wood Fight Oven Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here. <laughs> it's fantastic to be here. If you had to set up a cooking school in any part of the UK, this would have to be it. It is a beautiful part of the world, isn't it? It is It is a stunning part of the world. We've got fantastic uh, food produce around us. We're right here on the on the coast. We've got Bricks and Fish Market nearby, the biggest fish market in the UK these days. Really? Yeah. 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 We've yeah. got rolling hills behind us inland producing beef and pork and fantastic meat and and mm. other things. Devon is a great place for, for all sorts of foodie inspiration. There's such a lot going on here yeah. and it is fantastic. It just happens to be stuck down the end of a peninsula rather or <laughs> two thirds of the way down a peninsula. And does it rain here? <laughs> I'm looking out the window here, and it's uh, it's <laughs> it's a drizzly old day, David. It's a drizzly old day, but we're at the end of a very dry summer, so we're pretty happy to see the, yeah. the drizzle. And we are on this peninsula, as I mentioned, stuck out in into the Atlantic. So the weather does roll in off the Atlantic. Uh, it gives us lots of lush green grass and verdant pastures, which is fantastic for all the lamb and beef oh, that yeah. we are surrounded by. So, you know, there's pros and cons to all of that. But it's also uh, one of the highest places for sunshine 
the number of hours of sunshine in the UK. In the UK. Is so it? it's a glorious place. Just not today. Not today. Not, 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 no. Not today. I was just, uh, we've, my wife and I, we've just uh, driven uh, down from uh, Torquay. It's a, it's a yeah. lovely part of the world. It's The uh, English Riviera. I was about to say, we saw signs saying the English Riviera in yeah. Torquay. It's amazing. It's beautiful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you get yeah. up there very often? Very often? No, well, it's, it's, it's only just up and over the hill from us, really. And Tor Bay is a fantastic natural feature you know there's this huge easterly facing bay surrounded on three sides by the whole of what's now known as the bay right. uh, so very protected from wind so this very very sheltered harbor right. and it gets all this sunshine Hence, it got the sort of name back in the 1920s, I think, of the English it's Riviera. It was yeah. a beautiful spot. So a lot of a lot of Brits go there for their holidays. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very popular. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lovely, lovely part of the world. Let's uh, let's set the scene uh, for the listeners, uh, David. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, I'm from Brisbane. Uh, for those who are uh, new to the podcast. Uh, I live in Australia. I'm a Kiwi, live in Australia, and uh, I've travelled to the UK with my wife and we've driven down to see you here in, in this beautiful part of the world. Uh, we're sitting inside your cooking school. Can you describe for the listeners uh, what's surrounding us here? So here we've got a big uh, a big space about seven metres by four metres, completely enclosed by a wooden structure which we built ourselves. We added this on to the house. How long ago was that? And uh, About seven years, I think. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Although a little bit before that, we had a smaller structure with a couple of ovens sat on it and a little roof. <laughs> and then we had a bigger structure. And then we had a bigger structure with a marquee over it. Oh, goodness. Okay. And then eventually we built it all in, all the while trying to sort of extend our season and what we could offer. So now we can, now that it is fully enclosed, we can cook yeah. with our outdoor ovens, but we can cook 12 months of the year and teach 12 months of the year. Yeah, that must have made a big difference for you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely putting it inside, yeah. Absolutely, sure. yeah. yeah. And it's become a, a really fantastic space on, on what was a very little part used, of um, little used part of the garden mm. uh, is now our most used space. Mm. We run pretty much all of our classes in here. And in, in here we've got two um, uh, two classic wood-fired ovens installed, fully flued through the through the roof and always in tip-top condition rather than sat out in the Devon rain yeah, that you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, well, that's right. Getting a little bit it's, damp. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you've done well. It's, it has a nice rustic feel to it too. How many folks yeah. can you get in here for a, for a class? And we'll, we'll talk about your your classes a little bit later, but uh, but yeah. broad strokes, how many folks would you typically have in here? So a comfortable number for a for a class with a little bit of hands-on stuff going on is 10 to 12. Oh, that's a good size class. I'd really like to have a class of 10. More than that, it gets a little bit unwieldy. Yeah, right. We can do a sort of demonstration for 24, 25. We have had sort of pizza parties for 30 people, that kind of... Crikey, have you? That kind of number. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned the the rustic feel. We we gave the builder the brief that we wanted it to look like a treehouse. Oh, yeah, right. Because we're surrounded by these these lovely old trees. Oh, yeah. Lots of bird life. And it's almost like you're sitting up in the canopy here, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was that was the feel we we really wanted for it. Mm. But you don't just do your cooking 
in this place. You do a bit of travelling around, and I, I think uh, just before we came on air, uh, you were actually uh, Holly was mentioning that you do do some cooking around the place. You've recently been to to, to Boston. I think you're a busy guy because I think yeah, tomorrow you're going to yeah. Wales. Wales tomorrow. Whereabouts in Wales? Yeah. Are you getting? Uh, well, actually, only just over the border, just over the other side of the the, the bridges, yeah. which. People in the UK will understand what that means. Okay. Uh, so into just into the south of Wales near Monmouth. Okay. And I teach a class there about three or four times a year at another cooking school, the the Humble by Nature Cooking School, ah. where they have a different – they do have a wood-fired oven, different to, to mine a little bit. Okay. Um, but I set up there. We also run a class in Suffolk, and Suffolk is right at the other end of the country over mm. in the east. Yep. And – uh, having mentioned that we live down this peninsula, you know, it, uh, I have to take the mountain to Mohammed. We have a fantastic um, facility that we use over there, uh, and, and lovely farmer uh, and his and his wife Andrew and Sarah lend us their outdoor kitchen, which has Fabulous. a lovely refractory wood fired oven, and we have a another wood fired oven there as well, mm, mm. Uh, and we can run classes over there, and we run a class up in Scotland. Yes, and that's in Edinburgh. I think I saw some some yeah. uh, pickies on uh, on Instagram. Whereabouts uh, in Edinburgh do you do it? We've so that, a couple of times. That's just out to the west of Edinburgh in a, in a village called Belerno, near to the airport. Okay, uh, handy for for people coming in. Yeah, right. In there. And so, how and often do you go up there? And uh, well, we've only recently started doing that once a year. So we'll see, we're going to see how that how that goes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So you get around a bit. Yeah. 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 And. Uh, we, we, we run classes which are very much in a niche. So, you know, any cooking school in the country you can go to, you can do a bread class, you can do a fish class, but there are not many places in the country doing wood-fired oven cooking no, classes. No, I bet there aren't. <laughs> very few. Perhaps a little bit more coming on stream, I think. But okay. Bit of competition thus, for you. Bit of competition, oh. but thus far uh, we've, we've pretty much been it. Okay. And people do travel a long way to come and see us, yeah. but – we're asking an awful lot of people to come from Scotland mm. down to do a class right. with with us. All, I don't know, it's not that far. Can catch, you can catch a train down to London. Can you can you take the train all the way down here? Uh, yeah, I think you can take a train. Maybe you'd have to change at Birmingham or something. Okay. But you'd certainly be able to get from Edinburgh or Glasgow down to right. down to us. Right. Yes, The rail network in the UK is amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. The train's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Let's take a little chat now about your background. Did you grow up in this part of the world? No, no. I grew up in a little bit further north from here in the Forest of Dean, which is a little area of Gloucestershire, slightly cut off from the rest of Gloucestershire by the River Severn. And it's a little sort of forested enclave, very old hunting uh, forest, ex-mining region. Goodness. And okay. uh, beautiful, but a beautiful part of the world. So you were born yeah. in that, that part of the world there? Yeah. Okay. And how long did you yeah. live there? Oh, uh, till I went to university, really. So 18, first, okay. first 18 years. Was cooking a big part for of sure. your life growing up? Uh, for, definitely, yeah. Uh, lots of home cooking with my parents. Mm. Both my parents cooked. Yep. Uh, Good cooks. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. My father in particular was a very careful cook, took was over it? most of the cooking from my mother when uh, when he retired. Right. And she was still she was still working. He had a fantastic garden. Oh. Yeah, lots and lots of wonderful vegetables and fruit coming out of the the garden. Right. Uh, very frugal in from his yeah. background, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and so tried to grow as much as possible and and all of that. And then 
It had to be cooked. It had to be preserved. Yeah. If it couldn't be cooked or preserved, it was turned into wine, parsnip wine, and you know really? all that stuff parsnip going wine. on. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, was it good? Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, parsnip wine. Yeah, some of it. That sounds really good. <laughs> Not all of it. <laughs> some of it. <laughs> oh, gee, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, and then putting all of that on the on the table was. Yeah, right, right. but n- nothing too exploratory yeah. in his cooking, shall okay. we say. It right, was, it okay. Was very, very British, was it? Very, very British and, you know, didn't like the smell of garlic in the house. <gasps> really? Wouldn't have wouldn't have mushrooms. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, nothing too, no, none of that. Okay. Uh, funny, funny stuff. Right. But still, some fantastic, yeah, uh, stu- fantastic food. Yeah. What about cooking with fire, though? I mean, as a as a youngster, do you have memories cooking with fire? Because uh, we're looking at two very large vessels here that have fire in them. Yeah. Uh, so you see, your your, yeah. your dad did a lot of the cooking. So the, I'm presuming that's in the electric oven, was it? So, no. No. Uh, no. The oh. main cooking in our house was done on a coal fired Rayburn. Uh, so a range, kind of, you know, like an auger, similar to an auger, but coal-fired. Right. And uh, two two ovens, and to cook with that and a, and a uh, hot plate on top, but fired by coal. So you had to manage that fire very carefully to get the temperature that you yeah. wanted. Okay. And if you, you know, if you wanted to bake a cake, 45 minutes before you wanted to bake that cake, you had to be thinking about what do I need to do with the fire now? To prep for for that, <laughs> and I did a lot of baking, uh, um, a lot of lot of cake making as a as a teenager, and used that oven and became really comfortable uh-huh. using that oven. And I think that was a big part of understanding heat, yeah, uh, and and fire management, and also you know I was, I was Boy Scouts, I was yeah, great group, I yeah, was lighting bonfires on the that. beach, and you know you you doing yeah. all that good yeah. stuff. Campfire, yeah. I had my campfire cooking badge. I won a camp cooking competition one did time. You? Wow, yeah, oh, yes, cook duck à l'orange at a scout camp. Are you joking? No. <laughs> No, that's impressive. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, and do you do that here? Duck <laughs> I don't think I've cooked a duck <laughs> maybe <laughs> since the nineteen seventies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh maybe it's God. time for a revisit. Oh goodness! Yeah. Well, you've got a long history with cooking with fire, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold, cold. I remember my grandmother. Uh, I was born in Christchurch in New Zealand, and my grandmother they, they had a burning stove, I think, in their kitchen, and, and I remember the smell of of coal burning. Um, yeah, they don't let it happen in Christchurch now, but the smell no. is gorgeous. Though. Yeah, fantastic. I, 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 it's vivid yeah. memories of, of yeah. my younger days. And this and that range was the sort of heart of the uh, of the house. Really, the the clothes were dried uh, on it. Everybody who came into the house out of the cold would stand and park their bum on the rail in front of it. Isn't that and great? Warm up. Oh yeah, yeah, fanta- yeah absolutely so, fantastic. So yeah. okay, oh very interesting. Where did you first meet Holly? Uh, Holly and I met at university. Okay. So what did, Forty years ago. Okay. Did we say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what did you study there? Uh, I stu- Holly was studying modern languages, so she was studying French and German. Oh wow. And I was studying philosophy. Philosophy, which is rather different to what I'm doing it, now. It is, yeah, but it is a <laughs> <laughs> rather more academic and cerebral. So when you left, you know, so what? What uni was this? Yeah, uh, this was in London. In London, okay. Yeah. And then, so you did your philosophy, and then at the end of university. What was your first job? Well, my first job actually was as a bicycle courier around London. Was it? Yeah, and the th- the very thought of that was scary, wouldn't it? Well, oh, the very goodness. thought of it now terrifies me. Yeah. At the time, at twenty two or three or whatever I was, 
Didn't scare me at all. <laughs> I hurtled around there, yeah. carrying packages of this, that and the other, Whoa. skipping in and out of traffic lanes and all of that, all of that without a without a second thought. Yeah, goodness N- me. I think about it now and it just fills me with horror, really. Oh, because yeah. London, for those who, oh, everyone must surely know, London's a crazy busy place and it would have oh, been back then too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gee. And then, uh, oh, but uh, that that was sort of whilst I was uh, trying to get into the into the navy and uh, taking various tests and okay. Um, so why the navy? What what drew you into the services? Uh, well, my father had been in the navy during the war, really? and yeah. so I'd been brought up with stories of oh, I bet the excitement uh, of travelling the world uh, on the ocean <laughs> or under the, the, ocean. the excitement of being sunk in the Mediterranean yeah. <laughs> twice. Uh, was it? And very, he was. Was he really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Geez. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, <laughs> what what uh, ships did he serve on? Uh, I'm not sure I can remember the name. I'm sure one of them was called the the Janus. Okay, right. Yeah. And so he he got sunk twice in the mid. Sunk twice, yeah. Oh, my God. Spent hours and hours in the water. Had that been in the North Atlantic, you know, had he been North Atlantic convoys, not Mediterranean convoys, that that would have been that. Yeah, right. Um, But the Mediterranean, you know, you just floated around for... Several hours until someone came and picked you up. So that yeah, the stories of being sunk in the mid were enough to inspire you to join the navy. (laughs) (laughs) Strangely, how did that work? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Tell me that that intrigues me. uh, Joining up the services. Tell me about uh, those early experiences for you. So you travelled the world. What was it like? Yeah. Well, I I guess the 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 sort of attraction for me was a the, the kind of travel and adventure idea, but also doing something very practical after a philosophy degree. Yeah. Thought I needed to yeah. really kind of okay. do something, do something hands-on. A bit more hands-on. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, we were, I was, you know, navigator, officer of the watch, diving officer, you know, right. lots of lots of good fun yeah. doing that. Okay. But I did manage to try, in, I was only in the Navy for a short period, so mm. I only did five years. Is that Which, short, is it? Yeah, yeah. Five yeah, years, yeah, it's a long short. time? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was never going to be a career yeah. naval officer. Okay. But during that short period of time, I managed to get out to the West Indies a couple of times. Did I travelled down the coast of West Africa. I did a tour around the Mediterranean. I went into the Baltic, circumnavigated the UK with the Fishery Protection Squadron. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. So I did I did a lot of miles. Yeah, you which did. Was, which was great. Now, not everybody had, did that. You know, some people were bimbling around doing rather <laughs> pedestrian <laughs> things, and I managed to, to pack in a lot of travel. So quite an yeah. exciting time. Yeah. Did the influences of food and all of these different places have an impact on you? Do you, do you remember the foods that you ate at these different countries? I do, I do actually. Uh, yeah. And uh, funnily enough, you know, I talked to my friends about their time in the Navy and, and the things they remember are nothing like mine. Because I, I say, do you remember that jerk chicken we had in ah. that bar in such and such? And yeah. they're like, no. There was a bar? <laughs> oh, they remember the bars? <laughs> of course yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're like, no, I don't remember the jerk chicken. I'm like, do you remember those frog's legs we had in that little cafe in in Ghana? Like, <laughs> really? No, 
No? Yeah, no. we did. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, you know, yeah. travelling around mm. um, all of those all of those places mm. and going out to see Holly. She was she was in the army. She was out in Germany. Okay. Out so there. I just remember this fantastic bar across from the barracks where they had these, these wonderful Wiener schnitzel oh, yes. was the thing. Was it? Yeah, stuffed yes. full of all sorts oh, of different, sounds different things. Yeah, yeah so pretty much anywhere I can... I went. Okay. I go, oh, yeah. Yeah. We ate such and such. Yeah, they're there. right. I'm not sure that I was even sort of consciously logging that. But now that I think back, I can always remember some outstanding foods that we ate. So you've been cooking with fire, coal uh, for a long time. You've, you've had all of these wonderful experiences. You joined up in the Navy. Uh, you're a philosopher. How did you transition from being on ships on the ocean, cooking full time? And we're talking before you've set up this this school. So. Yeah. So how did that process come about? Yeah. So, well, you've got a bit of time. Mate, i got all day. Take your time. So I, I had, I mean, I'd always had this interest in cooking. I cooked as a teenager. I did a O-level in cookery when that was not the done thing at all. Really? For a okay. boy to do an O-level in cookery. Okay. So you explain know. for those folks on the other side of the planet what an O-level is. Uh, so that's that's 16-year-old exams, now called GCSEs in the UK. I don't okay. know what they're called elsewhere. Yeah. All right. Um, but at kind of 14, 15, you have a choice about what subjects you study. And mostly the boys would be doing woodwork, metalwork, technical drawing and the girls would be doing needlework and cooking and I opted for cookery yeah so, very smart decision mm. yeah mm. so I have a cookery O level I was baking at home I was trying to be a bit more experimental than my father had been and you know we're talking in the 70s now so you know spaghetti bolognese and that kind of stuff was <laughs> yeah. coming in yeah right. some of these some of these more non-british Avant-garde. Ingredients were becoming yeah, available. Sure. Uh, so I was I was getting into all that. But also, you know, just earning pocket money, filling oh. my auntie's freezer with cakes and quiches and various things. Yeah, fair enough. Um, right. To, uh, to, earn some, to earn some money. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And at 16, I wanted to go to – my plan was to go to Catering College – uh, get my HND, I think it was called, Higher National Diploma. Okay. But my next level of education yep. would have been in hotel and catering. Mm. And uh, as part of that would be cooking, learning to cook. Mm. My plan being to, to become a chef. And my father, God bless him, uh, talked me out of that. Did he? He did. Okay. He said, there's no money in catering. Uh, in the food industry, right? You should really be doing something sensible, like um, engineering, okay, and going into manufacturing, yes, uh, that sort of thing. Right. Which of which there was lots at the time. Mm, mm, now there mm. isn't any, but no, sure, um, sure. So, uh, so, so did you pay attention to your old man back I then? I did. Yeah, I did park that idea. Yeah, and I went back to school, and then I did my sixth form. A-levels, yep. advanced uh, exams. Then I went to university. Then I went on to do into the Navy and some management consultancy and all sorts of exciting things. Yeah. So no regrets about any of that. Mm, but great life experience. I came back round full circle. Yeah. And in 2002, we got offered this fantastic opportunity to come down here and run the catering at a yacht club. Holly, after she'd left the Navy, uh, uh, sorry, Holly, after she'd left the Army, had gone to Leith School of Food and Wine yes. in London and studied for a year with a view to go, going into 
catering cooking of some sort. Mm. And she had then been cooking private catering, private cooking jobs, a little bit of restaurant supply work, mm. uh, doing some talking, doing some writing, mm. doing some teaching, all sorts of things. Now, I think uh, I, was, I was talking to Holly a few weeks back um I think she's done some work on TV as well, has she? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of TV work. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of work for the BBC as their online chef in the very early days of BBC food. Fantastic. Ask, Ask the chef. Yeah. Asked there was a show, was it? Asked. No, no, no. It, that was just a you, you'd write in and and Holly would respond online. Or oh, really? There, there were a team of them, but oh, of right. which Holly was one of those. Nice. Um, yeah. That yeah, would have been a great yeah. experience. Yeah. Oh, gee. Okay. And uh, so we were then at a at a wedding in Dublin. That's a nice part of the world, as Dublin. You are. Oh, yeah. that's a gorgeous place. Yeah. yeah. Met someone who was looking for someone to do the catering at a yacht club in Devon, and we said. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, all right then. <laughs> we'll give it a whirl. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, and so this is the yacht club just down down the road here. Just, is this? Down, just down the road. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'd been to been to Dartmouth to um, this part of the world before because I've been at the Naval College, which is just over the river in Dartmouth. Right. So I knew where it was. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, the the consultancy of which I was a partner were we weren't doing a lot of work. Post nine eleven, yeah, right. Everyone stopped uh, flying around the world to have meetings. We stopped yeah. flying around the world to mm. facilitate those meetings. So there wasn't a lot going on. Mm. So I took a sabbatical. Okay, twenty years ago, mm. I'm okay. still on it. You're still, you're still going. Yeah, you're still going. But you're not going to go back to that, yeah. though, are you? No, no way, not now. Not no. now. Okay, no. So that brought us down here to do the catering at the yacht club. Yep. And, and that's the Royal Dart Yacht Club. The Royal right. Dart Yacht Club. Ah, oh, fancy. Yeah, oh. beautiful. Kitchen overlooking the river, fantastic setting. They've got an amazing terrace on the on the river, mm. and we did the catering there for two years. Exciting, busy restaurant uh, during the summer. Mm. Lots of sailors coming and going. Hungry sailors wanting mm. lots and lots of steak and seafood. Ah, oh, sounds fabulous. That was great. Yeah, uh, rather dull during the winter when there wasn't a lot of sailing going on right? and there were a few local members and okay. committees and all of that. So okay. as anyone who's ever worked in a club will know, there's only so long you can work in a club. Is that right? That's okay. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then it's time to move on, which then ultimately you did do. And yeah. uh, tell us about the transition from uh, coming from the Yacht Club uh, into this place that we're sitting in now. Tell us about uh, why you d- decided to start your own Cooking school. So that happened straight after the yacht club. Part not, of your not, life? not quite. We were uh, we were doing a variety of things. So we were doing some food production. Right. We were doing some outside catering. Some of that food production we were selling on. Some we were selling at markets and food festivals, mm. and really kind of casting around looking for uh, you know either we were going to become millionaires by inventing mm. the next big food product. Mm, or mm. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> uh, um, but then Holly sent me on a on a class to learn even more food production. So it's called a. Well, I was already baking some bread and selling that at market, which was going well. She sent me on a class. Were you doing that at, in the kitchen from the from the yacht club baking uh, bread? That started there, yeah. but then afterwards here where we are now, mm. we converted our downstairs to a little production kitchen. Right. Uh, but then Holly sent me on a on a class. It was the it was called the three day going professional baking class. 
right. at a school called The Pannery with a fantastic guy called Paul Merry. Right. Um, not too far away in Shaftesbury, near, near here. And... Uh, I spent three days learning lots from Paul Merry, who's a fantastically experienced guy. I think he might be a Kiwi, actually. Really? Yeah. Goodness me. Okay. And, uh, but I also spent three days thinking, my kitchen is bigger than this, and it's got a better view than this. <laughs> and Holly and I's background in the military, in management consultancy, in presenting and talking, and a little bit of TV work and all of that gave us all the right skills to be running a cooking school. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, I shouldn't be spending all night baking bread and then loading a van and taking it off to mm. markets. Mm. Mm. We should be doing some cooking classes at our fantastic house in Kingswood. Yeah, right. So I came back and I said to Holly, this is what we're doing next. <laughs> <laughs> and did she sign up straight away? Because running your own business doesn't come without a fair amount of risk. So, yeah. so how did you feel? Yeah. How did Holly feel about that when you came back and said, "This is what we're doing"? It's yeah. a risky endeavour, though, to run a. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were already. I mean, we were already running our own business. Mm. It just was not really kind of firing us up and making us think this is what we want to do. Mm. So she was very happy to explore that, and we started doing some some classes fairly soon after that. And was that wood-fired oven cooking classes from the beginning? No. No. No, definitely not. So we started the cooking school. I think we were on our first classes in um, probably May 2006. And they were – we tried lots of things. So, you know, seasonal cooking using local food um, with all this fantastic food we have around us, bread classes, fish classes – Italian cooking, Spanish cooking, Goodness. Indian cooking, you name it, every kind of cooking. Yeah, right. To see what stuck yeah. and what didn't. Yeah. And uh, we still run bread classes. We still run fish classes. We stopped doing some of the others because the wood-fired stuff got too busy, but some things kind of came and went. Mm. And it wasn't until 2000. Eight or nine that we started doing some wood-fired oven classes. Okay, so it was a few years into it. Yeah, yeah, and and that came about because someone said, "Do you want a wood-fired oven for your cooking school?" Really? And we said, "Yes." It's a pattern here. Uh, yeah, it is, isn't someone it? Someone says, "How about this?" And we say, "Yes." yes. And I don't. I think that's generally a pretty good philosophy. It is a good policy, isn't it? Say yeah. yes. And see what happens. Yeah. So is it one of these Worst. that we're seeing here that was the original? Uh, same manufacturer, yeah. but a different oven. Okay. We started with it on the other side of the house, uh -huh. um, but it, there wasn't really enough room over there as the classes got more mm. popular. So we moved it over here and things got bigger and bigger. And um, But the same, same manufacturer. Right. Yeah. But when we started... Those first classes, you know, our first two years, we probably taught as many people as we now teach in a weekend, in a good weekend. Is that right? Yeah. Because in 2008, most people would look at you, if you said, if you've got a wood-fired oven in your garden, they'd look at you and be like, why would I have a wood-fired yeah, oven in my garden? Right. Just want to take a quick moment during this episode and express my gratitude to all those wonderful folks who have reached out and financially supported the show. It only takes a few small coins, the equivalent of shouting me a coffee or lunch, to make a big difference to the future viability of the show. If you would like to become a supporter of the Wood Fired Oven podcast, 
please head over to woodfiredoven.cooking forward slash support where there are a few options you can choose from. I've left links in the show notes. Special shout out this week to Anne and Vanessa for supporting the show recently. I'm very grateful to you for your generous support. Thanks to all my supporters. You are all legends to me. Okay, let's get back to the show. So you've seen over the period of time that you've been doing this, you've you've seen a, a shift, a, an increase in popularity of, of wood fired ovens in the UK, obviously, Hugh, hugely. Yeah, yeah, what's what's absolutely. driven that? Do you think? Uh, well, I think I mean a it's we we've seen quite a lot on TV, yeah. and as soon as you see Jamie Oliver or the Hairy Bikers or the James Martin, great. The hairy bikers are great. yeah, yeah, um, or any of those folks on TV with a wood fired oven in their garden, you go. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah. But if they're doing it, yeah. so can I. Uh, so that was great. But at the same time, there's been a general interest, growing interest in lots of things where you're you're kind of doing things yourself and it's mm. kind of getting back to some sort of basics. Absolutely and right, yeah. So people are making bread and making cheese and making kimchi and making beer and gardening and you know, Sourdough, having it. Starters. You, can't, you can't get a uh, an allotment anywhere in the UK. There's a waiting list for allotments because people are growing their own vegetables and that sort of stuff which – had, had sort of been set aside, all of that has made a, a, a comeback in the last 15 years. Mm. And I don't know what's really firing that reattachment with with all of that. Maybe it's just, you know, the more our lives get taken over by technology, yeah. the more we feel a need for, mm. I need to do something with my hands. Yeah. I need to... Getting back get to those t- basics, yeah. yeah. And, and nothing is more basic than... Playing with fire, no, and cooking exactly. with fire. Yeah, so every so kind exciting. of every kind of cooking with fire has has seen this um, uh, rekindling. Good pun. Rekindling of interest. <laughs> it's a very good pun. <laughs> uh, uh, in in that. So whether it's barbecue, fire pits, smoking, you name it, mm. it's uh, there's been a resurgence of interest, uh, and alongside that has come the resurgence of interest in wood fired ovens. Just fantastic. And not so not just numbers. Of people, mm. but so after after we'd been you know involved about five years, I say we really started to see the numbers picking up, mm. but also the amount of equipment uh, ovens available now has mm. changed mm. enormously. Mm. So I had a tiny little oven that I bought in about two thousand and five or something. It had imported from Italy. It's called a little pizza party. <laughs> it's now at the place we use up in Scotland, still going. Is this? Really? Uh, That's a good effort. But, you know, I couldn't really find much and um, because I wanted a little lightweight oven that I could mm. take to farmer's markets mm. and bounce around easily in and out of a out of a van. Now, if you go online, you are bombarded yeah. and put anything in about wood-fired ovens. Mm. You are bombarded with people who are... You know, spending lots of money on Google Ads, mm. trying to yep. sell every kind of Absolutely. oven going. We're certainly spoiled for choice yeah. now, aren't we? Yeah. We're spoiled for choice, and also we are blinded by mm. choice, mm. by mm. the confusion of I don't know what kind of oven. If you've mm. never ever used a wood-fired oven, mm. you've got ten different people saying this is the ultimate wood-fired oven. It's mm. all you'll ever need. Mm. You have no way of knowing what it is that you need. Okay, so. If I lived in the UK with the selection of ovens available to me here, and yeah. if I rang you up on the phone and I said, David, there's so much choice out there, 
I've never cooked in one of these things before, but I'm having one in my backyard. What yeah. would you recommend me to get? Uh, well, I, I try and steer clear of recommendation too much because uh, I don't know how people are going to cook mm. and uh, how deep their pockets are and how often they're going to use their oven. So I, I like to sort of go through a, a conversation with people where I explore all of that a little bit. I say, what are you going to do? Uh, and then say, well, here are some options that might fit with your how you're likely to use that oven. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've got some ovens which we use here, which are, I think, really good examples of their sort of oven, which I have no hesitation in. You know, if you want an oven like that, I've got no hesitation mm. in recommending mm. these kind of ovens, and we'll talk about some of those ovens later, mm. I'm sure. Mm. Um, but I don't like to say to anybody... Oh, you should get a such and such. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because there is a lot of choice, isn't there? And, yeah. And uh, choice uh, on all levels of budget as well. And, I mean, there's there's ovens now that didn't even exist when we started. Mm. So the whole market in compact ovens, and we, have, we see lots of unis and mm. rock boxes and Delavita ovens, and now people who are jumping in on that, copying those designs – of of oven, mm. tiny little ovens that you can sit on a tabletop. Yeah. There's no installation cost. Mm. Uh, they run on gas or pellets or wood or charcoal, mm. and you set them up and away you go. Fantastic. And if you're into pizza, they punch out some of the most amazing-looking pizzas, don't they? Great. Just fantastic. Great. And it didn't even exist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally new yeah. corner of the market. And the, the innovation that's been going on in the marketplace has been fantastic mm. to to watch, mm. you know, really people trying to find a, a different niche or a different angle to come at it from and differentiate what is basically, you know, a, a 9,000 year oven which has been using working perfectly well. Mm. Mm. They're going to redesign that and come up with something, something new. new. That's right. And some of that yeah. is you, you sort of scratch your head and go, I don't know why you did that because the first one worked great. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and some of the other innovations were like, oh, that is definitely a different way of coming at it completely. Mm. Uh, so the little compact ovens are an example of that. Mm. Mm. You can stick in your van or your camper van and off you go. Mm. And Do you run any like. gas ovens here? Uh, I've got one yep. gas oven. Mm. And you use that for? One little. For, uh, for, your, for your school? Yeah. For the school, yeah. Yeah. And we, I mean, we try and have a range of ovens here at the school just so that we can teach people different mm, things. If people want to come on a, um, on a, private class, I can say, right, well, I've got the oven that you're using or something Mm. very similar to Mm. it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't tend to cook with gas much myself. Mm. I'm a wood man. You're a wood man. I'm a wood man, (laughs) through and through, yeah. (laughs) What sort of wood do you use? Oh, uh, we have a a range. Um, So I've got some ash and some some beech. And generally speaking, wood is, is, it's a source of heat. And I'm not terribly bothered about what kind of wood it is, as long as it's dry. Mm. Most importantly, mm. it's got to be dry. Mm. Um, and there's, you've alluded earlier to our climate here, which is not Gorgeous. always it's very dry. No, no, it's not, uh, is it? It's very green outside your window, so it can't be. So it's not dry. Always, not always easy to <laughs> no. create uh, to dry wood. So I tend to get nice kiln-dried wood. Mm. And then I keep some for flavour. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I keep some oak and some – I've got some African acacia. Fancy wood. Yeah, fancy fancy wood. Okay. Yeah. 
and you know some hickory and some yeah. cherry and yeah, different right. things where i want to deliberately add some mm-hmm. some flavor okay do you do any smoking do you have smokers here as well I, well, we smoke in the wood-fired ovens. Okay, well, we have to talk about that because yeah. uh, that's not without its challenges. Yeah. No. Okay, great. No. And okay. I do I do have a uh, a smoker as well. So I have a you know a rocket smoker with the fuel at the bottom and the mm-hmm. racks at the top. Um, uh, if I ever want to do some cold smoking, mm. if I want to do a quick bit of hot smoking or I want to, you know, cook roasted chicken and add some smoke, hot hot smoked chicken, I'll just do that in the wood-fired oven. Yeah, right. That's okay. Fine. Oh, yeah. good. Okay, David, let's have a chat about your cooking school, present day. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, let's have a little listen to a couple of these customer reviews. Okay. This one's from Alex. A wonderful wood-fired oven cooking course and beautiful surroundings. Alex says, if you own a wood-fired oven or are thinking about buying one, this course is a must. We spent two days cooking with David and Holly. We cook so many different dishes, the best pizza imaginable, but also a wide range of other foods, a curry, Smoked salmon, focaccia, custard tart, sausage rolls, to name a few. Goodness, you cook a lot of food at your, at your on your two-day. Absolutely. Day. We also learned, Alex says, so much about how to use our oven more effectively and just had a lot of fun, both cooking and eating a huge amount. David and Holly are excellent teachers and hosts. Uh, Mark & Co., not me, another Mark, says this should be made obligatory. As others have said, if you own a wood-fired oven of any type, this course is a must I learned at least five things I could improve on within the first two hours and it didn't stop there. Mark says, it must be lovely to hear these wonderful comments from students who have taken the time to come and visit you. It's, uh, it re- really is lovely and it reflects exactly what we try and do at the cooking school, mm. which is to educate, mm. uh, so to, to give people an understanding of how wood-fired ovens should work Mm. can work because they're not intuitive, mm. but also to inspire them by cooking lots of different things. Mm. So we want Sounds people, like it. Yeah. yeah goodness. We wow. want people to really go away understanding that this is they're not a pizza oven. Mm. They're not a bread oven. Fantastic. They are not a one-dimensional thing at all. Mm. They are really truly versatile. Mm. And mm. you can cook anything in them once you get confident and comfortable and understand how to control and manage the the heat mm, mm. and and that's one of the challenges I think isn't it uh, is it's very easy to get your oven very hot and I think uh, most of us would probably go through a phase when we have our oven finished and we are so excited we've done the curing fires and we're so excited to cook and we throw so much wood in it and it gets so hot and the first few dishes that come out are pretty average. I mean, my kids are pretty honest with my cooking and <laughs> <laughs> they'll tell me. Uh, it, but uh, is that something that you, you see in your students that uh, some of those those common struggles or challenges that they have would be around controlling heat? Totally. And you're, you're absolutely right. Everybody starts off, not everybody, I'm sure, but people tend to start off with... It must be easy to use one of these wood-fired ovens. Yeah. I just make a whacking great fire inside it and I put some food in and hopefully it'll come out all yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it does come out all right, but quite often it's we, we've had every tale of, you know, chicken black on the outside oh, and raw on the yeah, inside. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> I mean, pizza loves extremely hot ovens. For yeah. 90 seconds, bam, it's done. But it's probably, I don't know, what other foods would, would, would want to be cooked at those sort of temperatures? Probably not much. No, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And we want people to understand that there is subtlety and control mm. involved 
in wood-fired cooking, which then allows you to cook things without that element of hope. So you're not sticking it in there and crossing your fingers. You're sticking it in there and you are pretty much certain that it's going to come out exactly as you planned. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show at woodfiredoven.cooking forward slash support. There are links in the show notes. This support helps to bring more great Wood Fired Oven podcast episodes out to you. Remember, a few small coins makes a big difference to the show. Sign up online at woodfiredoven.cooking and receive our free Wood Fired Oven resources pack. Follow me on Instagram at marks underscore woodfiredoven for recipes, tips and techniques to supercharge your fire cooking skills. Join our Wood Fight Heaven Chronicles Facebook group and meet some amazing fire cooking enthusiasts. Thanks for listening to this episode. Catch you next time. Stay safe, have fun, and go cook with fire.